All right, here's what I want to do today as we kick off this new series. I'm not actually going to take this first message to try to convince you why you should be a part of the church. Or convince you that I think the Bible teaches you should not just follow Jesus, but you should also connect to a local body of believers. I do believe if you read the Bible and you're honest about the New Testament, you'd have to come to the same conclusion. That it doesn't just point you to Jesus, it points you to the local body of believers as well. But you're in church. You're here. So here's what I'd like to do. Instead, I'm going to use this time to remind us, those of us that are in the church, why do we do this? Because after a while, it can get hard. Believe it or not, I have difficulties with some of you. Believe it or not, you have difficulties with me sometimes. Why should we keep doing this? Why not just scatter on our own and we wouldn't have to deal with the weaknesses and immaturity and conflict and difficulties of trying to be together? Let's remember what the Bible says because we can be so conscious of what's bad and what's wrong and what we think was better and what just shouldn't be. But oh my goodness, I want to show you why it's worth it. I want to show you what the Bible says about why it's worth and, and why the Bible, when God calls you to his son, if you're here and you're a believer and you say, I'm a Christ follower. When God calls you to his son, he also calls you to his son's bride. That's what you find in the New Testament. It's both. The bride is not optional. I'll take Jesus. No, thank you on the bride. She's a mess. That's not what you see in the New Testament, even though you see that being played out too often in our land today. Believe it or not, the local church, with all its mess and weakness and immaturity, because you're in it and I'm in it. See, we tend to think it's those other people that just drive me nuts. Hey, you're driving somebody nuts. It's us. It's us. With all its weakness and immaturity is still the bride of Christ. But we got a lot of people that are down on the bride. All you have to do is look on the internet. I wish it was just unbelievers. It's Christians that are just blogging and writing and carrying on about, we're done with the church, we're done with the church, we're done with the church. About three years ago, Jesus Christ graced the cover of Newsweek magazine. It was not the first time he made the cover. It's not likely to be the last time he makes the cover. But this time, about three years ago in April 2012, he graced the cover of Newsweek magazine in a feature article by Andrew Sullivan that stated, forget the church, follow Jesus. And it seems like that's what a lot of people are inclined to do today, especially here in the West, in America. You don't find this so much in other countries, but in our individualistic Lone Ranger, John Wayne, we made ourselves, we can do this, it's just me and Jesus. You find it a lot in the West. Forget the church. Just follow Jesus. So-called experts that are supposed to keep us in touch with what's trending and what our, what our culture keeps declaring about the church ad nauseum is that the church is just a dinosaur who's gasping out her last breaths. Problem, they've been saying that forever now. And she just keeps hanging on there. (gasps) (gasps) She just won't die. I'll tell you why she won't die. God's not gonna let his bride die. She's not going extinct, my friend, until Christ returns, they'll be his bride and he loves his bride. And so, so should you. She's not gonna die. Best-selling prognosticators like George Barner, who's been researching the church for over two decades now, even goes so far as to say this in some of his latest books. Very matter-of-factly, George Barna says, and I quote, if the local church 
is the hope of the world, then the world has no hope. Wow. Talk about down on the bride. Here's the problem. George Barna may be researching and polling and doing exit polls on everybody that's leaving their local churches so unhappy. Here's what he's failed to do. He's failed to keep reading his Bible. And he's failed to ask God and poll God one more time and ask God what he thinks about the local church. And God still has some amazing things to say about the local church and why you ought to be a part of one. So here's what I want to do in the time that we have today. I want to give you three reasons why it is worth. Now listen to how I word this. Why you should not just follow Jesus, but you should risk. And it is a risk. Investing your life and getting your hands dirty and your heart very possibly bruised by being part of a local church. Anybody that's here and that's been a part of a local church any length of time, put me at the head of the list, has gotten your heart bruised. You've gotten hurt. You've gotten bent. You've gotten disappointed by another believer. It's one thing to get, get it at work with unbelievers, but what happens in the church, you think, I thought these were, yeah, yeah, these are Christians, but remember, they're still sinners and they're still in process. You, you could get hurt here. But I want to give you three reasons why God calls us not just to follow Jesus, but to risk getting your hands dirty and your heart very possibly bruised by investing in a local church and stepping in there with brothers and sisters in Christ. Reason number one. Here's why you should do it. The gathered church in all her weakness is still the place where God has chosen most to put on display his wisdom his glory, and his son, our savior, Jesus Christ. Does God put on display his wisdom and glory in other ways? Sure, you can see it in a sunset, in a mountain, in a river, in the ocean. God's word says in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. But listen to me. He says from God's word, when he wants to most put on display his wisdom, his glory, and his son, he does it in the church. You say, you're kidding me. I know, it's hard to believe sometimes. Let me show you from Scripture. Hope you have a Bible, because, oh my goodness, we're going to tear them up today. We're going we're gonna to use them today. Bring a Bible with you when you come to Grace Fellowship. Because it doesn't matter what Brad Bigney or Peter or Ryan or somebody else says, but I want you to know what the Bible says. I want you to know what your God says. Hebrew, I mean, sorry, Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Paul the Apostle is talking. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all people see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. To the intent that when, if you got the New King James, What's it say? Right now. Now, in this age, in this new covenant of grace age, we're not under the law. We're not way back there. Jesus came, lived, died, rose again, ascended to heaven. He's preparing a place for you and he's coming back in this age while we await his return. Where does God say he's going to manifest his wisdom most? That now the manifold wisdom of God might be known, made known by, say it, 
Say it louder. Say it like you love her. The church. That the wisdom of God, the manifold, that means the variegated, diverse, that amazing, inexhaustible wisdom of God now might be made known by the church. And now look, look who's watching it happen. When he makes it known and he puts it on display, who's the audience? Sure, human beings, I hope, pick up on it. But he says, might be made known to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Demons, Satan, and angelic beings see this. And God says, I'm going to show my wisdom, my manifold wisdom. I'm going to put it on display before them in the church. Even the angels lean in. And and this is something they don't understand because the gospel is not for angels. God doesn't redeem angels. They're not created in the image of God. They They don't have a soul that lives forever. They watch this and say, we don't get the gospel and we don't get the church. But God, look what God's doing in that. Look at those people. Look at those. They're pathetic. We don't know why God puts up with them. But look, he is choosing to put on display his wisdom in the church, in the church, in the church. Now, let me help you for a minute. If you're finding yourself thinking, but the church is so filled with problems and immaturity and weakness. And well, where does 2 Corinthians 12 say God's power is most demonstrated in the midst of our great power? And we got it so together in weakness, weakness. Because when you get around the church and you sense any grace, any mercy, any power, any hope, you end up saying, what else is here? Because it can't be them. God says, that's how I want it. That's how I like it. I can put on display my wisdom and my glory and my son in the midst of a local church. In front of the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Verse 11. According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Skip to verse 20. Because this is good for you if you're sitting there thinking, how's he going to do that? There is no way. I haven't been a part of a church yet that I think is. Verse 20 is for you. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think. Look at me. You could think, that ain't going to happen. There's no way. Even if we prayed really hard. Hallelujah, he tells us, now to him who's able to do more than you could think, more than you could ask for. To him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory. Where? Say it. Say it again. In the church. By Christ Jesus throughout all ages in case you're thinking well he he did that for a while he sees it's not working he's moved on to another plan god's not moved on to another plan in the church by christ jesus throughout all ages so all this nonsense that now with technology we can just have an internet church and everyone can just boot up and look at the and that's so much better and wrong wrong You still need to get in your car and actually go get near people that might not have used enough deodorant, that might have halitosis, that might drive you nuts. And you could watch better sermons. You could listen to better sermons as you jog. You could hear better worship sung by a better music team than what you could find at your local church. Problem? He meant for you to get up close to other saved sinners. There's something he wants to happen in us by that 
context that cannot be accomplished by you listening to John Piper and other much more wonderful communicators and listening to better music and together, together. Glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Number two. Let me give you another reason you should not just follow Jesus, but risk investing in a local church. Number two, the gathered church is not just an embarrassment and a hindrance to avoid. We got people writing today and blogging today like she's just one big embarrassment. Has the church done, said, and behaved in ways that it is quite embarrassing? Louder. Yes. Oh my goodness, there's times that I just think, ah, ah. Well, let me ask you this, if you're married. Has your wife ever embarrassed you? Don't out loud say anything. <laughs> but let's be real. Haven't there been those times like, <laughs> love her, not right now, but love her. This is, she's got so many strengths. That's not one of them. <laughs> not my wife, but I've just heard, you know. <laughs> There's going to be times of embarrassment. But I hope you didn't say, we're so done. It's just an embarrassment. Are there times as you go through life, you can have a sense of, I could do this thing called life more like an individual SWAT team, just me so much better. You're bringing me down, baby love. This just, oh, it slows me down dealing with you and your stuff. Others, I know, I hear, I hear from others because I counsel. But are, do we throw in the towel and say, it'd just be better alone? No. Hey, the church, the gathered church, And all her weakness is not just an embarrassment or a hindrance to avoid. Get this. She is a massive help to embrace if you want to persevere and finish well in the Christian life. You say, you're kidding. I just have this sense that I could do this better without the church. You may have a sinful, fleshly sense, but you better read your Bible and say, God, not what I feel, not what I think, not what I've experienced, but what do you say? Not what I feel, not what I think, not what I've experienced, but what do you say? And I'm going to believe what you say. But let me show you from the scripture. Well, before I show you from the passage we're going to go to next, let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. Mark Dever, pastor and author, talks about a conversation he had. Because this sense that the church is a massive help... To help you persevere and finish well is the very antithesis of sometimes what you hear being written and talked about. Like you could do better without the church. You could be more effective without the church. He says he had a friend while he was in graduate school. A friend that was passionate about ministry. Passionate about ministry and involved in a ministry. But not a ministry that was really connected to any one particular church. But he says while we went through graduate school we both did attend the same local church. But he says, this guy, his friend, would just show up on Sunday very late, about halfway through the service, and just slip in just in time for the sermon. So he says, one day he looked at his friend and said, and decided to ask him about his half-hearted, poor, you know. He said, what's up? Why do you come late and just slip in? He said, ah, I don't get anything out of the rest of it. And he says, I looked at him and said, have you ever thought about joining the church? He said, when I asked him that, he looked visibly taken back, stunned and surprised that I would even ask that. And he says, he looked at me and said, join the church. I honestly don't know why I would join the church. I know what I'm here for. And those people would just slow me down. 
Have you ever felt that way? Let's be honest. Sure. Have I ever felt that way? Mm, Yes. But folks, here's what we've got to remember. Those people are Christ's people whom Christ died for. That's who they are. They're not just those people. Those people are Christ's people who Christ died for. And here's the thing that you've got to recognize. That young man may move more quickly for a while and be way out ahead of the church. But get this. The Christian life is not all about the pace. It's about finishing the race. And you are much more likely to finish well and accomplish more being connected to a body of believers that may move a little slower. But remember the tortoise and the hare? You know, it's just, there's the tortoise. Here we are, the local church, just moving along, ugly as can be, tortoise. I haven't seen a pretty one yet. But she just keeps moving. Because, folks, the church that's comprised of simple, sinful people who love Jesus and are committed to trying by God's grace to love each other just keeps plodding along and you will be much more likely to accomplish more together and to finish well together than if you hit the exit door and say I'm done with the church that's what you see from scripture you say Brad can you show me that somewhere Yes, go to Hebrews chapter 12. It's a passage that you're probably familiar with if you've been in the church at all, but you may have never made the connection to church from this passage. Church, other believers at close range. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning of verse 1. Therefore, and here's what I want you to notice as I read through these three verses. I want you to look at pronouns. See how many are singular and see how many are plural. Therefore, We also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Now before I unpack some of what's there. I hope you heard it. We, 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 us, 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 us. Since since God by his Holy Spirit chose to give us a running picture of the Christian life. Let me get you to think for a minute. We're not talking about a sprint. So the Christian life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's long distance running. I love Eugene Peterson's phrase. The Christian life is a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. Christian life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. So if you know anything about long distance running, think about how often you see runners who get together with other runners and run together. Well, that's a pain. You've got to get your schedules together. You've got to pick the place you're going to run. You've got to get in your cars and burn up 350 a gallon gas to get there. Just run in your neighborhood. Go by yourself. Get done sooner. Don't have to wait on that late person. In Albany, Georgia, we go there for two or three weeks each summer because that's where my wife grew up. And there's a Starbucks I love to go on Saturday morning early. And it's got an outdoor patio. And I'm sitting there drinking my good coffee and reading my Bible. And one day there was just people, gradually, they began to arrive in their cars and park and get out on the sidewalk in multicolored, beautiful outfits and start exercising and stretching and doing these things against the wall. And I thought, 
why would you have an exercise group meet here publicly on the sidewalk by Starbucks? Not an exercise group. Once about 12 and 15 of them were there, they were just stretching and they stood up and they took off running. Together. Together running on a Saturday morning. In our neighborhood, I live in Fort Wright, which is near Covington Catholic Boys School. In the springtime, there'll be a herd of teenage boys that will just come galloping through our neighborhood. 20, 25, 30 of them in a herd together. It's a long-distance team from CovCath practicing together. Even here in our church, I've heard of friends that are runners who get together on a Saturday, drive here to the church parking lot from Burlington, Hebron, wherever. Takes more time, park their cars, stretch and whatever that is you're doing. And then they run, say it, together. Why? Because you can run further together. You can last longer together. If for no other reason, it's just shame. I cannot stop. No one else has stopped. I keep hoping that some, there's someone older than me. There's a woman that hasn't stopped. I will not stop. Shame alone can keep you going for a while. Long, you run by yourself. I've done a little bit of it all by myself. My lungs are just burning. They're screaming. I think something's going to explode. Just stop. Why go on? Stop. My whole body's screaming. Stop. When you're with others, it's like, oh, no. No, no, no. No, no, I'll hurt myself before I stop. You can run longer, you can last longer, and you can stay more motivated. How? Say it again. Because this is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And you do better together. God knows that. Together. Now, before I unpack some things from these verses, let me also make a statement. Because I hear this a lot. And it breaks my heart. I'll hear people who pull back from small group or pull back from church because they'll say, I don't feel like I have what everybody else has. I don't know my Bible as well as they do. I don't this, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like I belong. And I want to make a statement to you. The church of Jesus Christ, the local church, is not for people who have arrived. It's for people who are going somewhere together. There's this sense that, oh, all these people have it together and they've arrived. If you'd get here and plug in with us, you'd realize, oh, so not true. But from a distance, you can think, I don't fit, I don't belong, I actually have some struggles. The church is not for people who have arrived. It's for people who are going somewhere together for the glory of God. Jump in, jump in. Because here's the other thing, even as you go together in a group... That cove-calf group of boys that come trampling through my neighborhood and I'm out working in the yard. It's like, oh, there's a massive herd that kind of goes through at the same time. And then 30 seconds later, there's like three. And then 30 more seconds, there's like two, three. And then like two minutes later, there's one. And you're like, oh, buddy, sad. But he hasn't quit at least, you know? So we're strung out. You may be that person. But you're still part of our group. They're spread out. Everyone doesn't look the same. Everyone doesn't have the same ability. God hasn't done the same amount of work or grace in you. But there they are running, say it, together. And you're more likely to go further, last longer, and stay more motivated. How? Together. So now let me point out some of that togetherness. Because these verses are just jam-packed with togetherness. Here's the first thing I want you to notice. The church can help you recognize and lay aside things that you're not even seeing about yourself. Did you know that? You say, but it's me. It's my life. It's my heart. Surely I would know. Let me help you. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitfully and desperately wicked, and who can 
You need help. I need help. The church, other people at close range in your life can actually help you see things you're not seeing about yourself. Verse one, look at it. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Two things that can slow you down in the Christian life. Weight and sin. We're not talking about overweight. We're talking about just things in life. It's not necessarily a sin, but it's a hindrance and you won't give it up. It's amazing. You know, someone will just be saying, I'm struggling. I'm really struggling. And, but they got this thing that they think they have to. And someone else can say, put it down. Get rid of that. That, that. I have to have that. Laddie, let it go. Let it go. It's slowing you down. And then sin that ensnares you. And someone else can help you and say, listen, look. Look what you're doing. The church can help you see things about yourself that you're not. We're supposed to notice it doesn't say get alone in the woods and pray and ask God to show you. I do that. I do days of prayer and fasting. Say, God, show me my own heart and what I'm not seeing. But folks, this passage is saying, let who? Say it. Us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily. We're supposed to be doing this together. Someone else can help you see something you might not be seeing about yourself. Number two, the church can help you keep going when you feel like quitting. There's going to be times you feel like quitting. Let us run with endurance. You notice it's not a sprint. It's long distance. So you better have some endurance. The race that is set before us. And that word endurance in the Greek is hupomeno. And literally it means to stand up under. And not collapse or crumble under a weight. Life's hard. Parenting's hard. Financial trouble's hard. Divorce is hard. Cancer's hard. Need I go on? There's going to be times you're going to wish you had somebody else to put their shoulder under there with you. and stand. That's what Galatians 6, 1 and 2 is about, bearing one another's burdens. You'll have others to help you hupomeno when you're thinking, I'm throwing in the towel. I am done. And that word race in the Greek is actually agona, where we get our word agony. Oh, man, if you do any long distance running, you know there's some agony where your body just screams. And, and runners talk about that, hitting that wall, tr- trying to get to that other side where you kind of have that. Oh, man, it hurts. There's some agony in the Christian life, this race that we're in. If you're connected with others, you'll have some hupomeno to endure and not throw in the towel. Thirdly, look what else you can get as you're connected to other believers. The church can help you focus on the right things as you run. Anybody who's done any distance running knows that it's critical where you fix your eyes. You better pick a point out there. You don't want to be focused on the right here, right now. You better pick a spot, pick a spot, pick a spot. Never has that been more true about the Christian life. And what it says, it's right there in verse 2. Looking unto Jesus. And in the English, it doesn't come through as it should as strongly. In the Greek, it's a plural verb that you could say it ought to be looking together. To Jesus. We're supposed to do this together. That's why when we come together on Sunday morning, we sing great truths. And sometimes you think, why do we sing 20, 30 minutes? Just get to the sermon. Folks, there's nothing, nothing we do more important than singing. Now, if the songs are pathetic, let's just get to the sermon. By God's grace, our worship director, Brad Spence, doesn't pick pathetic songs. There's songs that are biblical, that are singing great truth. And as you sing it together, it resonates in your heart and you're, you're looking together to Jesus. Looking together. And here's what I love. The verb there is aphoro. And it literally means to look away from one thing to fix your gaze on another. Away from to fix. 
What do we tend to obsess over and fix our gaze on? The right here, right now. My latest problem, my whole world shrinks down to that. And I very often need others to help me lift my spiritual chin and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's, there's more. There's, look up, look up, look up. Looking unto Jesus. Look away from and towards. You can do that better with others around you. And then he drives it home again in verse three. For consider him. The word consider there in the verb, in, in the verb tense is plural. All of you, y'all, y'all consider this. That's how Paul would have said it if he was right here in English. Or if he was from Pittsburgh, use guys, use guys, consider this. Together. And the word consider there is the Greek word analogizomai, from where we get our logistics or accounting. And it means to take into account or factor in. I need others sometimes to help me factor Jesus back in. You listen to someone's story sometimes, and it's absolutely true. They're not exaggerating how bad things are. Problem, they just left Jesus out. They left God's promises out. I need help factoring Jesus back in and taking into account everything. You'll do better in seeing what you're not seeing about yourself, in not throwing in the towel, and in knowing what to focus on if you're connected with other people. Believers. And before I move to the next point, let me point out right there in verse 3, the second part of it tells us horrible consequences. If you choose to run alone and think I can just move faster, these people slow me down. If you choose to fight sin alone and think I can see what I need to see about myself and get it done. If you choose all by yourself to decide what you should focus on, two horrible consequences and dangers. Verse 3 Second half that begins with lest. Lest you become, say it, weary and what else? Discouraged where? Oh my goodness, that is more than just tired that a good night's sleep will fix. When it's in your soul, when it's on a soul level. And the word weary right there in the Greek is kamno, which means sick. Sick. You get soul sick. Your soul can sour. News alert, you may avoid some inconvenience and getting your feelings hurt by not being around other believers, but here's what also can happen. Your soul can sour all by itself. And you get soul sick. Here's the other thing. That word discouraged, oh, this is really good. In the Greek is eklomenoi, and it literally means to unloose, as in to unloose the string of a bow. Snap it. If you snip the string of a strung bow, is it still a bow? No, no, no. Say yes. Don't mess me up. Still a bow. Is it effective? Now say no. No. Can you get much done with it? No. There are Christians, listen to me, and you are saved by the grace of God. Your trust is in Jesus, but listen to me. You're undone. And you're thinking it's because of this, that, and the other. Consider, my friend, whether it's because you've not chosen to stay connected to the body. Your soul gets unhealthy and sick, and you become unstrung, undone. You're not effective. You're no longer an effective weapon in your own fight against sin or the fight for God's kingdom and for his glory because you're disconnected. Let us lay aside together. Let us endure this race together. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus together, lest you get soul sick and undone. That's pretty serious. 
And that's pretty exciting reasons for me to still put up with the local church and love her and lean into her and say, God, do those good things in me as I trust you, trust you. That yes, my heart may get bruised, but oh, my bow may stay strong in a way I need it strong and my soul won't sour. Number three, the gathered church, the gathered church in all its weakness is the place that will help you to put your own persecution and suffering back into perspective in a bigger context and history of God's sovereignty. Because once again, all by ourselves, we tend to have a very small world, very small perspective. When you're connected with the gathered church, folks, the church has been around a long time. And other believers can remind you, wait a minute, there's more. It's bigger God's been on the move for a long time. Don't lose perspective. It can put your own persecution and, and suffering back into its context of the history of God's sovereignty. You say, why do I need that bread? I hope I don't need to tell you that persecution is coming, my friends. It's on our doorstep. It's already arrived. And I don't see from Scripture that it's going to let up. It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. I'm not saying that to scare you. Because... When you go to scriptures, it's like, it's not the first time. God is not like, oh, what am I going to do? Because we don't have an evangelical, conservative, Jesus-loving, Bible-fearing president in the White House. There have been all kinds of points in history all over the world where God does his work not through politics and people, but in spite of politics and people, because people can't stop our God. He said, I will build my church. He's building his church. So we don't need to think, well, God's never faced this before. We're civil authorities. Civil authorities are against Christians and they're limiting our freedoms and our rights and what we can say and what we can do. It's happened before. We're not the first group of Christians to suffer persecution. Turn to the book of Acts chapter four. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Acts chapter four. And I wish that I could begin reading in verse one and read the whole chapter. But I can't. So you go home and read it. But let me, let me put it in context. So I'm going to start reading in verse 23. So find Acts 4, verse 23. Put your finger on it and then look at me. Thank you. And we'll do story time with Pastor Brad. And I'll just talk us through it. Okay? Here's the context. If you started in verse 1, Peter and John are on their way to the temple at 3 o'clock in the afternoon for afternoon prayer. But on their way... Peter and John on this particular day see this lame man. And this man has been lame from birth. He didn't fall in a, in a work accident and become lame. He's from birth. He's an adult now. And everybody knows him. He's been there forever begging. But on this day, Peter fixes his eyes on him and says, Silver and gold I do not have. But what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And that man stood up. And he went into the temple, it says, leaping and praising God. Leaping and praising God. An adult. That tends to get attention. And so a crowd starts to gather. They know this man. He's leaping and praising God now. Leaping and praising God. A, gra- a crowd is gathering around Peter and John. And it says they were filled with wonder and amazed. Problem? They were filled with wonder and amazed for Peter and John. And so Peter takes this opportunity with a crowd gathering to do something very smart. 
he says to the crowd, oh, don't keep looking at us as if this man was healed by our power. This man has been healed by the power of Jesus Christ. And then he gets bold. Whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. And oh my goodness, that set off. The religious leaders went nuts because they didn't want any of this in Jesus' name talk going on and spreading. They'd already put him to death, trying to lie to everybody and say the body was stolen. They're like, no, 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 no. So they lay hands on them, put them in custody, and basically threaten them over and over and over and over. Do not ever speak in the name of Jesus again. Do not speak in this name. Do not speak in the name of Jesus again. Now, we'll pick it up in verse 23. What did they do after all that kind of threatening and fear and persecution? Verse 23. Acts chapter 4. Oh, just lost it. Hang. Don't lose this moment. And being let go, they went to their own companions. There had to be an identity of who are the Christians? Who's the church? Who do we go to? There was that. It existed. They went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord, look at me, and said, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? The authorities are against us. We can never do this. Oh, we're so scared. Not my Bible. They raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Who but, And here's what I love. A few weeks ago, I pressed memorizing scripture. And one of the reasons you should memorize is you can use it in praise and you can use it in your prayers. They pray scripture back to God. They quote, all they had was the Old Testament. They quote a chunk of Psalm 2 and they pray it to God. Watch what happens. Who by the mouth of your servant David have said, quote, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand again and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. It's not the first time that human beings with human authority have sought to be against God and against his son, Jesus Christ. Not a new thing. And then while they recognize Psalm 2 in a big general God is sovereign kind of way, Now they're about to mention something that was a game changer for them. They're only weeks, maybe months away from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And they had thought when Jesus was crucified, oh my goodness, we thought he was the one. We thought the kingdom was coming. We thought he was the Messiah. We thought he was the fulfillment of all the prophecies and promises, but they've killed him. And then he rose from the dead. And they realized, oh my goodness, God is sovereign even over the worst things that happen at the hands of real people who make real choices. Watch what they say. Verse 27, for truly against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both. Now they start naming names of human authorities and leaders. Herod, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. But notice what they understand. Notice their theology, what they say next. Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Romans and the Jews were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Somebody say amen. Amen. Can the worst things that human beings do 
that they freely choose to do of their own accord, that they will be accountable for, still be a part of God's sovereign plan. And he uses sin and wickedness and wicked people still to accomplish his purposes. Answer, absolutely. He's been doing it and he'll keep doing it and keep doing it. They only did what you had purposed and planned to be before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants with all boldness that we may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled, say the next word, together, together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. They got together and were mindful that God is sovereign and human beings cannot stop what God is doing. They worshiped God and they cried out to God and the place where they gathered to do that was shaken. The word in the Greek there actually means stirred up. They were stirred up again, stirred up for the glory of God. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and it doesn't say they barked or they laughed or they did bizarre things. Remember the Holy Spirit message? When you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you're uninhibited and your tongue gets loosed like a drunk person that says stupid things. You say bold things for Jesus. They spoke the word of God with boldness. 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 In other words, they understood God is sovereign in the past, distant past. He's sovereign in the immediate past. Jesus was just crucified, but God rose him from the dead. And it gave them boldness to pray for the present, trusting that God's purposes will be accomplished even when it looks like everyone around us is against us. How are we gonna do this? That's what we need, folks. We better have this. And you're more likely to get this perspective and keep this. If you're at home by yourself, just barely attending church or connected to other believers and just watching news and just listening to conservative talk radio, you will be depressed. Turn it off. Read your Bible. I've said it before. I'll let you know when anything changes. It's bad. It's getting worse. It will keep getting worse. Why why do I need to know details? How's that going to change how I should live? Live for the glory of God, share the gospel. Live for the glory of God, share the gospel. Lay down my life, sacrifice, make a difference. Love my wife, raise my kids, give away my money. How is that gonna change me knowing all the horrible details, which I hope you know this, but sometimes I think Christians don't. Media knows we've got to make everything a crisis to drive up the ratings so you'll stay glued to the TV. We need Christians glued to this. And glancing at the TV. I'm not advocating stick your head in the sand and know nothing. I'm saying glance at the latest news and gaze at this and drink this in. That would cause us to live more the way we're supposed to live. We got to get that thing turned around. As we close, let me put a face on some of this for you. I love this. Here's Paul. Now you think about it. If there was anybody who would be a candidate perhaps to decide I am so smart And so gifted, I don't need other Christians. All I have to do is do some research on Paul. He was brilliant. We're talking PhD, brilliant, gifted guy. He could have decided, I don't need Christians. I could do more on my own. If there ever was a guy who'd been hurt, disillusioned, disappointed, and right in the mix of the immaturity and mess of local churches, it was the Apostle Paul. 
dozens of churches. And here's, here's, I just want to laugh out loud when I hear Christians blog or say in my very presence, the reason I'm not connected to the organized local church is because I just can't find the New Testament church today. What New Testament are you reading? When you read this, they were filled with immorality. The, the boy is having sex with his father's wife. There's witchcraft, sorcery. He's saying sanctity and Phoebe. Tell those two ladies to get along, please, in Philippi. Sounds a lot like the local church today to me. All kinds of mess, all kinds of weakness, all kinds of immaturity. And Paul did not throw in the towel on the local church. For Paul, it was not just, I've been called to follow Jesus. I've been called to follow Jesus and love his bride. Because we can accomplish more Say it. Together. And we're more likely to finish well because it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Together. That if you spin out of here and say, I'm done. I'm so done with the church. And let me show you what I'm talking about. The Apostle Paul who could have been hardened and the Apostle Paul who could have just decided in general there's these other churches, but I don't know anybody. Romans 16. Jump there real fast. I want to show you something really cool. Romans 16. We're going to get there in a couple years, but now you got a sneak peek of the end. Here's what I think is interesting. Paul knew he had been called to more than just him and Jesus. It was the bride of Christ. And so he cared about people and he knew their names. Names. I'm going to read to you fast some of this. And I want you to notice how many names you have never heard of. There might be a few that say, oh, I I saw them in X." Most of them you've never heard of, but Paul cares. He loves them. They matter because the local church matters. Romans 16. I commend you to Phoebe, our sister, who's a servant of the church in Sancria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. Assist her in whatever business she is in need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper to many and myself. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Greet Andron and Junia, my kinsmen, my fellow prisoners who are note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. And Stechus, my beloved. Greet Apelles, who's approved in Christ. Greet those who are in the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my kinsmen. Greet the... As Americans, with this just bottom line, it cut to the chase, we would see that as wasted space. And say, you could have given us 16 more verses about parenting. And we wish you had. Or something far more important than this. You know why this is important? Because people are important. And the local church matters. He loved people. These are real people who have names. That aren't all stars. That aren't heroes. That aren't the ones that always get on, put on the flannel graph. That did great things like Daniel or Noah or Moses. But these people lived for Jesus and loved other believers and made a difference. I'm not here today to ask you where you stand with Jesus. I do that many times in many messages. That's not the message today. I'm not here to ask you today where do you stand with Jesus. I'm asking you where do you stand with his bride? Where do you stand with his bride? God knows what he's doing and he thought it was a good idea to call us not just to Jesus but to Christ's bride. And yes, we will frustrate you. And we're going to slow you down some. And your heart may get bruised. 
but we're much more likely to accomplish more, say it, together, and to finish well, say it, together. God knows what he's doing. So I want to ask you, what about you? Do you have the courage to stand, the confidence to speak up, and a heart that's willing to sacrifice to see lost people come to Christ? If not, let me ask you to consider, maybe you've never considered, that it's because you're not plugged in with local believers enough, and so your soul is sick and your bow is unstrung. And so your wheels are just spinning. Those people may be the very people you desperately need in your life to get healthy and to become effective in your own fight against sin as well as in your fight for God's kingdom. Father, thank you for your word and thank you not for just calling us to Jesus and we love it, but for calling us to his bride and you know what you're doing and that you've chosen to put your wisdom and glory and put your son on display in the church and then to manifest your power and glory by the church in this age. Use us to be a part of that. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.